Might as well just roll right into it. Started in Atlanta, right? Yeah, Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain. Where's Stone Mountain? Stone Mountain, Georgia, is a little town northeast of Atlanta. It's like forty minutes northeast. Okay, so it's kind of like how everybody claims Boston, but it's exactly. not really. <laughs> I try not to tell people I'm from Atlanta because Atlantans really get upset with me. Yeah, it seems seems to be like everywhere. All the Bostonians, they with their little accent, they always get mad at it too. So yeah, it's, it's too cool. Too cool for school, that's for sure. So what made you decide Air Force Academy? Well, I want to do something different. Um, I grew up in uh, Stone Mountain, which is, you know, a very homogenous type of town uh, with a lot of people that looked like me. So I wanted something different, and I wanted something that was um, just also free. Yeah. (laughs) So that was a big thing, was the whole free thing. And nobody else was giving me full rides, so... Four rides for volleyball, right? Yeah, so I played volleyball. Um, I also uh, played basketball. I ran track. I was in the marching band. So I was figuring one of those things is going to get me into school for free. <laughs> None of those worked out. So here I am playing volleyball for the academy. So. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's pretty easy way. Like, did, the, did the academy make you go to the prep school? Yeah, so I didn't get the grades to get directly into the academy. Um, but my... Uh, track coach actually hooked me up with a recruiter at the academy initially for mm-hmm. track. And then I decided, well, I don't want to run track because... We've discussed running. <laughs> I'm not the best once, runner. Once a year. <laughs> Even though I see you on treadmill once in a while. Every see, once in a while. Yeah, yeah, Mine and a half volleyball. is only it, once a year. Prepping for volleyball. So. Exactly. I get to stay in one little box. So then she hooked me up with talking to the to the volleyball coach, and then after I applied, that's when the Air Force Academy said, uh, you are not welcome to the academy, but you are welcome to apply, or welcome to filter your application to prep school. So that's what I ended up doing instead. So did you go through that your junior year, end of junior year, or senior year, when you, you were doing all your application stuff? So I was doing all my applications uh, at the beginning of my junior year, and... Honestly, the Air Force Academy application is a very lengthy process. Because you have to go to a representative senator or... Was yeah, it you have to get a, a nomination from either a member of the House of Representatives or a senator. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're Legacy Academy, then you can even get one from the Vice President. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's kind of a big deal. But I didn't get that. I got a House of Representatives member um, at the time and... Then you also have a fitness assessment. You they look at SAT, ACT scores, um, but it's it's a quite extensive process. So that's why I needed a little guidance to get through the entire application with my with my track coach. Yeah, that's, that's so. Did your track coach go to the academy, or how did they know? Did they just know somebody? Else? She just happened to be a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. Which oh. At the time when I was in high school, I didn't think that was a big deal. But she was a <laughs> lieutenant colonel in the reserves. And uh, she was uh, just put me in a position to to where I could make my resume a little a little more com- more competitive. Mm-hmm. So I was already on the track team, and uh, I was already the captain of the track team. But then she mentioned that you know if you join a couple other things and show some leadership ability in these other clubs, then your resume will look better. So we started building that up from junior to senior year. Yeah, she, so she definitely put you on the right path. Exactly. Would she? Be- 
Would you, would you consider her one of your first mentors? Yes, definitely. Before I knew what a mentor was or what the purpose was of a mentor in my in life, yeah, uh, she was definitely one of the first. And then that's when I realized uh, that was the first baby step of realizing how important networking is in oh. general. Okay. Did you did you realize it at that time, or now is definitely. it hindsight twenty twenty? It's definitely hindsight twenty twenty for sure. Because <laughs> now I know to talk to every single person that I can about what I want to do mm-hmm. so that, cause I never, you never know who has the answers. Yeah, you know? uh, absolutely. Shaking hands, exactly. shaking hands, smiling a little bit, exactly. which shaking you're babies. really good at. I try. It, it's, it's kind of unbelievable that whoever <laughs> walks into this office, it's either you welcome them with a smile yeah. and, and then conversation just seems to become so easily. I mean, it wasn't always like that. I mean, I've, I've definitely gone through my antisocial teenage phase and then even going into the prep school of, mm-hmm. Being told that I do have, you know, the resting B-word face uh, kind of whipped me into shape. Not <laughs> only being told that, but almost getting kicked out of the prep school for my attitude uh, okay. kind of woke me up in realizing that I need to um, basically bring a better face to the world so mm-hmm. I can have more opportunities instead of, kind of closing okay. the world off. All right. So with that, just going off of your story here, like with your attitude at the prep school, do you think that was kind of fostered where you grew up and then being so close to Atlanta or, or is it just something that you just were that awkward teenage years and didn't want to hear anything? I, I mean, probably a little bit of both. I definitely uh, read a lot of rebellious books when I was in high school. Um, a lot of Angela Davis books, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just Malcolm X books. I was just, <laughs> I, I was, was rebel without I was going to go there. That was my next question, but. A rebel without a cause, seriously, because I, I mean, at the time, I had nothing to complain about, really. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up in a very, you know, stable household. My parents are awesome. My family's awesome. But I was just looking for somebody to be mad at. And being at the uh, prep school mm-hmm. kind of gave me an enemy. So on my cadre were the people that I could direct that anger towards. Yeah. yeah. And is it because when you look around, like, you don't see many females to begin with and then especially black females going through the program yeah and then just going from there maybe that one cadre absolutely just on your nerve all the time yeah so i mean part of that is um in my attitude in general towards people now is um learning to um i guess i became kind of a recruiter in a sense like i i want more people um, to try and be pilots or try to stay in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And I realized that initially, so I had another mentor at the academy uh, mm-hmm. who is now a, a full-board colonel now, um, who was a captain at the time and convinced me to try and go into pilot training. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first thing I said to him was, well, all pilots are assholes and I don't want to be an <laughs> asshole, so I'm not going to do that. Um, and then... After we started talking, it was kind of like that Gandhi saying of like, be the change you want to be, right? So if you believe that you're not an asshole, then if you join the ranks, then you can maybe spread some of that, um, some of that love and positivity and, and also bring other people up with you Mm -hmm. to kind of be those good people among the ranks as well. Yeah. 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 In order to influence, I was, I mean, influence, having influence is leadership. Um, John Maxwell says that it's, that's a great definition to me. But having the rank and the title helps. Yeah. Because like sure. I said, you can reach back. Exactly. And I mean, all of us can do that. Airmen, um, 
just regular people in the business world, like if, if you're in a position, you can always reach to somebody that doesn't have the job and bring them in. Or if you're a leader, a supervisor, you can reach down and bring them up. Exactly. And, um, yeah. you know, it's not about being insecure. It's like train this person so then you can go get a better job. Exactly. And, and then continue bringing everybody up to that level. And maybe they do get better than you. Yeah. But, but you should be happy. Exactly. Because you mentored them to become all that they can be. Exactly. As and long as you're still making yourself better. Exactly. You should exactly. Be they should better. never catch you. Yeah. Realistically. Like, yeah. And I'm sure you're still you're still chasing the lieutenant colonel and the yeah. colonel that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, I think you told me that story one other time, but I believe you left out one very, very <laughs> po- powerful part of you being in a restaurant. Uh, Can you talk about external motivations a little bit? Some, yeah. Um, I was with a friend of mine who is now an F-22 pilot. Uh, yes. He grew up wanting to be a pilot and having a Tuskegee Airman actually in his family. Wow. Uh, so that was kind of a big deal. So he you know, was already on the track to this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And because I never even thought about being a pilot, and I think that's why I think representation is so important because yeah. I didn't even think about it as mm-hmm. an option. Even if, even going to the Air Force Academy, I didn't think about it. Yeah. Um, but we were sitting... Down at a Burger King uh, on the Air Force Academy grounds, and two older gentlemen come up to us. And at first, they see us in our Air Force Academy. We're in ABUs at the time. <laughs> and uh, they ask, you know, they're all excited, they're all proud of us, talking about how proud they are. And yeah. then they ask, like, so you guys gonna be pilots? And then my friend, of course, says, yeah, of course I'll be a pilot. I'm gonna be a fire pilot, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not really into that. And not only the attitude that I said it with, but mm-hmm. also the um, just the standoffish way that, you know, I was just like, I'm not even interested in that kind of made them say, well, you're a waste of a slot. You're a waste of an Air Force Academy slot. And that's what made me think even more so, well, I don't want to be a part of your boys club. I don't want yeah. to. Do something that, that, that you're that telling me. That just proved your point of all pilots are assholes. Exactly. Right. And and these guys weren't even pilots. They were just generic old dudes. Oh, just chilling at Burger King. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that made me, you know, even even more so just say I'm not going to go down this path just because this community, the black community, wants me to do this. I'm not, I'm going to do this for myself if I if I ever do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward through, you know, prep school. Through the academy for four years, you had to go through all of that, um, which I'm sure I never went. So <laughs> I, don't, I only hear stories. <laughs> but you became an admin, right? Yeah. Right afterwards, so I you did. stopped a little bit before becoming a pilot. What was so, that step? Why was that step? Well, one, um, after graduating from the academy, there's always a pipeline that mm-hmm. kind of stops up. So okay. most pilots go to do casual status mm-hmm. somewhere at the at the very next base that they're going to go to. They could. They're going to go to, more than likely, the, the base that they're going to have undergraduate pilot training or UPT. Yeah. Um, I decided to apply for an admissions advisor job at the academy because I thought back to my very first mentor, my, my track coach, mm-hmm. who, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I am. And I wanted to be that person to yeah. somebody else. Yeah. So... Um, I did that for a year and I absolutely loved it. And mm-hmm. talking about the academy, having, you know, gone through it but graduated, you know, kind of yeah. separated a little bit, mm-hmm. gave me even more of a love for it and made me, uh, I was able to talk about it fondly because I was just like, I've been able to do so much and had so many great opportunities yeah. because of the academy. So, 
I definitely enjoyed it, and I definitely want to go back to the Air Force Academy. Really? Eventually to be to be a teacher or an instructor? To be a, a teacher, um, you know, side volleyball coach, side cadre gig. I would love to do all of it. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sure you'll get back there. There's no doubt. Um, <laughs> you're well on your way, especially building the resume, um, because then you went to C-17s. I did, yeah. And the global reach kind of family and... AMC, it's kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. So, um, so how long is that pipeline? Um, so the UPT initial phase is um, six months of T6 training or uh, the initial training jet that you get. And then everybody splits off into different tracks. So you either go the mobility track or the fighter pilot track. And uh, you either fly T1s for mobility or T38s for fighters. Yeah. And then, so that whole UPT process is 13 months. And then after you graduate from UPT, then you go into whatever specialty aircraft you're going to fly. So for C-17s, it was only like three months, I think. Mm -hmm. And I uh, went on to fly C-17s at Travis Air Force Base mm -hmm. for a couple years uh, before I was hand-selected to come over to the Arctic Force. And selected and volunteered. Right? <laughs> and selected and non-volunteered. Oh, non-volunteered. Non-volunteered. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. I, um, so with that, when did you meet your wife in all this? So I was met her in San Francisco when I was stationed at Travis. Okay. And I was living it up, uh, living in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you stay in San Francisco even when you were at RQP? Ar <laughs> you had that wonderful drive. Man. All day. All day it was day. definitely a solid hour <laughs> to an hour and a half commute every day yeah. from Travis. And, and my wife stayed in San Francisco mm -hmm. uh, that whole time. So while I was traveling and on the road with C-17s, uh -huh. it was rough because I would only see her like maybe, you know, one or two weeks out of the month. Yeah. And that, um, it sucked. But I wasn't ready necessarily to leave C-17s when mm -hmm. um, my two years, you know, when I was slowed at two years that this is going to happen. Yeah. So then I got non-balled over to RQ-4s, which is right up the street at Beale, yep. um, i.e. three hours away from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. My wife decided to stay in San Francisco <laughs> for work because I initially, you know, my thought process is I don't want you to quit your job uh -huh. where she's making good money yep. um, to just move up the street just so that I can, you know, yeah. be with her. So I would come home every single weekend mm -hmm. and, you know, hang out uh, with her family because her whole family is still in San Francisco and yeah. Oakland and um, San Jose. So um, we made it work. But. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, obviously, you know, you're still here, still married, yeah. so you're making it work. But on the topic of that, I remember you telling me one time, you married her so that she would have to chase you around the world. <laughs> And now, and now it turns out that you're having to chase her. So she's in Paris, uh, London. Right? She's in Paris. Paris. Ah, oh, had it right the first time. Yeah, yeah. So she's in Paris. Uh -huh. And obviously that's why you ended up out here. Yeah, exactly. And Which is a great opportunity for both of you. Yeah. But it worked out. It, it, and it it's weird good. how it did because I definitely didn't want to go to RQ4s. But I was thinking, well, now at least I'm home more and it's more stable and I, ha I can mm -hmm. plan ahead now yep. instead of Say, oh, honey, I'll be home tomorrow, but then we get extended for another week. Exactly. So it brought more stability, and then it gave me the opportunity, again, to, to come over to Europe, which mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do in C-17s. And yep. now my wife is going to school for her MBA 
um, off my GI Bill. So now it just everything. Yeah, everything lines up. I mean, we're closer. We're still long distance. <laughs> I mean, what is it? Two hour, two and a half hour flight. About yeah, about two hours. Give, give or take time, um, times and <laughs> European airports. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Gotta love them. But it, so the distance thing it comes pretty. Is it easy for you guys now? Or is it still challenging continuously have to work on? It's honestly still challenging. Um, but we've always said since the beginning that we're going to cherish the time that we have together yeah. as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. So even in the beginning, like we never fought over petty stuff that I think some normal couples do just from being in the proximity of each other constantly. Yeah. So like, you know, clothes left out on the ground or whatever. Like there were times when... Like, we would fight over, you know, how messy the house was. And then we realized, like, both of us are making two stable incomes. Mm-hmm. We don't have any kids. Let's just get a housekeeper. We don't have to worry about that. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, now we can't afford one because she's in school and, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make it C-17 money. It's a little different. Yeah, pretty nice, though. But, but still, like, um, we, we just, we learned how to um, kind of be in each other's space. And, and instead of saying, oh, man, I miss you so much. I, I don't want you to leave. And, and kind of counting down the days so we see each other again, we would just make the most out of the time that we were together. And anytime we thought or, you know, had the thought, yeah. I don't want you to leave, we would say out loud, I'm so glad you're here. You know? Okay. Yeah. So, so you just turn it into something. Yeah, you flipped it on, on its head right there. Exactly. So instead of constantly feeling missing, that feeling of missing somebody, it's yeah. just like, oh, this is yeah. perfect. Yeah. Like in the this moment, it's absolutely perfect. Right yeah. Um, with that, like, there's so many relationships, especially in the military. Mm-hmm. They, they end up being long distance, yeah. and a lot of them fall apart. Yeah. I mean, do you have any tips? Like, you, you talked about being in the moment when you're with them. Yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely like, number one. But, all right, let's say you got extended on a C-17 mission. Hey, baby, I'm not coming home. So. But that's a difficult conversation. It is. Um, I definitely, I mean, one of the biggest things that, <laughs> obviously, every single couple has ever, that's had any type of longevity has ever told me is. Yeah. Number one thing should be communication. Yep. So if, if something like that happens, she's obviously the first person I'm going to call to yep. say, hey, this changed. Um, it is, it's the little things that remind her that, you know, I'm thinking of her mm-hmm. sometimes. So there's been times where she was, you know, out with friends and I knew that she was out because we talked right before then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say, hey, let me, let me get you guys an Uber uh, to go back to your house. Okay. Or yeah. let me, like just last week, I ordered her some food from mm-hmm. Deliveroo in Paris. That's the <laughs> third um, you know, Yelp That's or Grubhub yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was just something to like, you know, kind of like, I can't cook you food right now. Yeah. But this is me, you know, kind of doing that thing. and Showing connection. Exactly. Like, you know what she likes. So exactly. I'll just order out for her. Exactly. It's awesome. So, so be in part. Mm-hmm. You kind of get into your own routine. Yeah. <laughs> what is your morning yeah. routine? What, what's on the, all right, I wake up, bam, what do we do? So, this may shock you, but I am not a great routine. I'm going to do this every single day first. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I try to work out at least, at least three times a week. Yep. That may, you know, be a shock to you who works out eight hours a day, every single day. I mean, occasionally I tend to dabble. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Occasionally. I, occasionally. I, yeah. Um, but yeah, I try to work out at least three or four times a week. I uh, I make this green smoothie that everybody um, 
makes fun of me for in our office. Including my, me. <laughs> Including you. I mean, when you put that fizzy water in there. That's, yeah, that was, that was a mistake. It so, was. But it's a learning experience. But now we know don't put flavored fizzy water in your smoothies. Exactly. This is a Especially if you have like 10 different kinds of berries. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I don't trust the water in my sink at home. So we didn't have any of that. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so I do that. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a lot of health stuff initially, mm-hmm. but um, I'm also trying to, uh, you know, read a little bit more. So I, I do an audible book um, for during my morning commute. So I'll try nice. to do at least three books a month and then I'll try to read uh, a book a month. So What's the current one? The current one that I'm reading right now, I just finished uh, Severance by Ling Ma. It's, it's a post-apocalyptic book. Mm-hmm. about this first-generation Chinese, American-Chinese immigrant. I mean, American-Chinese millennial yep. who's just writing on her experience about the uh, apocalypse, which is hilarious because millennials are hilarious. <laughs> um, but the book that I'm reading now is uh, My Sister's a Serial Killer uh, by this Nigerian author. Uh-huh. I can't even pronounce her name, honestly. I just started it. We'll get it. Like two we'll days ago. Yeah. But anyway, um, and then the, the book that I'm reading is uh, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting in the Cafeteria Together? And that's a book about the psychology of race and, and how we teach kids race. And that just happens to be a very random book that I just happened to pick up in my bookcase. And I was like, I haven't read this yet. I'm going to read it. What do you think so far? <laughs> I mean, I think it's cool. I think it's. It's interesting because I don't have kids, but I'm um, I'm always curious about how people talk to their kids about serious situations, like like with regard to race in general. It's it's a really hard topic to talk about, and I feel like a lot of people kind of um, avoid it altogether. And then some of our kids grow up avoiding the topic of race. So then when it does come up, then they're socially awkward and they don't have know how to discuss it. Yeah, as adults. It, it kind of seems like it's just like. Exactly. Like, let's put that. Let's put that over here instead of teaching the history, so that everybody can be read up and spun up on yeah. you know the red lines that were drawn in certain communities and the gerrymandering, so that certain yeah. communities are split in half. Like, see, in, instead we, of that, said we weren't going to talk about politics. So. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We just I just took it. No, no, no. We can edit that out. No, 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 but I mean, but uh, that's. That's not necessarily politics, though. That's the truth. Yeah. And it seems like people are afraid of the truth when it comes to things like that because they want to push it this way. Exactly. And and it's unfortunate. And But that's why those books like that are awesome. Yeah. Because we all have our groups. Yeah. And But what it seems like, going back to your academy days, that's why you left. Yeah. You were comfortable. Exactly. But was that going to get you to where you wanted to be? I had to get out of the comfort zone. Yeah. I had a huge fear when I was younger, just a fear of me- mediocrity. Really? Where did that come from? Um, I mean, it honestly comes from my, my parents constantly pushing me to, uh, I mean, it's kind of bad, but they always told me, like, I'm the best at everything. So, <laughs> it you know, they, they just... After I became the best at one thing, then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to be the best at, you know, playing a trumpet, or I'm going to be the best basketball player or whatever. And um, after I thought that I had kind of, you know, I was hot stuff in high school, then I come to the academy and I'm like, oh, I am really average right now. (laughs) 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 
then it's kind of like, okay, what do I get next? What do I do next to be better and yeah. to avoid that mediocrity in life? But yeah, it just comes from my parents and constantly telling me that, you know, you're not like everybody else. Yeah. So they told you, because, you know, nowadays it's like, oh, you're all so special. <laughs> but they let you know that you were special, but only after you backed it up. It oh, seemed. yeah. And it seemed like they did everything they could to train you yeah. to be the best. Exactly. And I'm, they wouldn't say it unless they truly believed it, yeah. I would like to think. Yeah. And your actions actually proved that correct. Like, it was like, check, next. Exactly. Like, even now, I mean, I, I'm sometimes avoiding talking to my dad because I'm like, oh, what have I done recently that would make him proud of me? <laughs> so, but that's that, why I'm constantly, like, doing more stuff because I'm just like, okay, now I have an barrier, update. Pushing the barrier. Yeah. Is that, does that weigh on you? A little bit. I mean, I've, I've definitely, you know, as you age, you kind of learn to please yourself and, and be um, more comfortable with, um, you know, your own accomplishments and mm-hmm. try to, you know, pump yourself up as opposed to trying to get that motivation from external factors. Yeah. So I've definitely, um, you know, been, I, I feel like now I definitely have more of a, uh, I'm just doing this for myself type of type of attitude as opposed to I'm just doing this for my parents even being at the academy like people tell you at the academy all the time if you're doing this for your parents you're not going to make it Uh so I had to find a bigger reason than myself Mm -hmm. to you know to try and graduate so yeah that's especially prep school four years and dealing with failure probably for the first real time Yes. College college hit me hard. I, yeah. That's why I left and I needed to get out of the Midwest. You know? <laughs> I, I, I didn't have that to where like, okay, I have to stay. Yeah. It was, I'm free to leave whenever I wanted to. And that's yeah. what I did. Yeah. Um, and I got out of there as fast as possible. Yeah. And um, dealing with those first tastes of failure, like, Air Force is a humbling place, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Whew. But, I mean, it's cool because it you, you see the finish line and you're like, okay, this is all I, that I need to do to get to the finish line. Yep. But I could do more. Like that's what the Air Force teaches you is mm-hmm. you think you've hit your ceiling. Yeah. But like we were talking before about the David Goggins like forty percent rule, like yep. you've really just gotten started and scratching the surface and yeah. how far you could possibly go. And and the best part about that is not only do they have programs, but the people around you, they're there for yeah. a reason. Yeah. You know, and it's it's cliche to say like good or bad, like, they're there for a reason, learn the lesson. Yeah. But a lot of times in the military, especially, is that the people that got there, mm-hmm. they did something to earn it. Oh, yeah. And if, if you can take those lessons that they're going to give you, exactly. they'll get you through that. Exactly. Um, and that goes back to our conversation of them wanting to build you up. Right. Take my job. Please. Right. Exactly. Um, so you got to surround it. I mean, yeah. I really, I have so many mentors, like, mm-hmm. not only in the Air Force, in the private sector, my mom's friends. I mean, I talk to everybody that I possibly can yeah. to to try and get to where I want to be. Yeah, smiling and shaking hands. Exactly. Like, smiling and shaking hands. That that's what you have to do. It, it, it's you know we gotta make shirts. That, that's what that's what we gotta do. Smiling and shaking, shaking hands. <laughs> that yeah. So all right. So let's circle all the way back to the books. All right. After all that stuff, um, avid reader, avid audiobook reader, listener, listener, yeah. listener. What could you put a cap on like one to three that most affected you, influenced you? Well, um, there are definitely, I mean, or recommendations. I'm sure there are some leadership books that I should probably recommend uh, as an officer. However, comma, the ones that have most 
affected me and my personality. Yeah. Um, are mostly political stories. Um, Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe was, mm-hmm. uh, who's a Nigerian author, um, about uh, just growing up in Nigeria and then eventually, um, uh, you know, people coming over to basically take his way of life and his family's way of life. Yep. Um, Women, Race, and Color by Angela Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I mean, again, Angela Davis is very uh, confrontational, um, but it, it kind of shaped my, my high school career. Um, <laughs> and recently, the book How Not to Die by uh, Dr. McGregor, who kind of got me into the whole plant-based diet in got the first it. place. Got it. That book leads to another book, leads to another documentary, leads to... And he has a, a site. What is it? Um, Nutrition Facts, I think. Yeah, I think it's like... Yep. Yeah. And it, it is a phenomenal site. I agree. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I listened on a ritual podcast. I'll put it in the in the show notes. But yeah, he had him on there. And yeah. he has some awesome stuff. There's yeah. No, there's no doubt. And, and it's not like he's like saying, don't eat this. He's <laughs> just saying, eat more this yeah so and, and he goes into the science a little bit of like the fructose the difference between manufactured fructose and like what's coming in an apple yeah like obviously he's a doctor so he's going to go through that stuff yeah but like you said it's it's more about what are we going to take out like take out the processed stuff and yeah. just eat the real stuff exactly and it's like, tough man. It, it is tough especially since you know it's scientifically enhanced to make you want it exactly I mean, exactly i have a weakness for pop tarts i do <laughs> Well, that's the only reason I tell my wife, like, that's the only reason why I'm vegetarian is so that I can eat crap like Pop-Tarts because she's completely vegan. She's really good at cooking for herself and eating more whole foods. Yep. She's been great. Mm-hmm. I still drink wine. I still eat Pop-Tarts. Uh-huh. Yep. If there's free food in the bake room, probably going to eat it. Yep. No matter what it is. Yep. But um, I definitely, I want to at least eliminate or try to avoid some of the preventable diseases that a lot of people die from on the standard American diet. So yep. that's the goal. I mean, if we look at your physical, the, the way that you view fitness, three times a week, run, play volleyball, things that you love. Yeah. And then just take out all the crap. Yeah. Like, except for Pop-Tarts. Except for Pop-Tarts. Except for Pop-Tarts. What is it? Pop-Tarts. is it strawberry? Strawberry mostly, yeah. Strawberry, that's the one. Yeah. So you guys, it's a double chocolate yeah. fudge for me. Uh, that, that's the one. You nuke yeah. it, you nuke it in but the microwave. But that's what we need. A toaster oven. We do need a toaster oven. You know, I'll bring that up. I'll run that at the chain. I like it. You know, maybe maybe we can. Uh, I got you. I pay taxes, so yeah. I got you, and that's what it's about. Take care of my people. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's simple. Mm-hmm. Do what you love when it comes to exercise. Take out all the crap yeah. and repeat. And repeat. repeat. And do it. Do it as much as possible. Yeah. And um. But then don't beat yourself up too, because I mean, there's a lot of people I'm that bad, say. Bad. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm going to do this 30-day challenge where I don't eat any of this. Or, you know, let kind of uh, mess people up like that sometimes. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to do enough. this for this period of time. And then once I mess up, it's like, oh, well, now i got to start all over. On Monday, though. <laughs> on Monday. Monday. It's Tuesday morning, <laughs> but, you know, had that pop <laughs> But, um, I mean, I, I try to tell myself, like, tomorrow is just a, another day yeah. to be better. Yep. It's another opportunity. And the big thing with me when it comes to that is like after those 30 days, what happens? Exactly. Well, after, it's supposed to start a habit, right? It is. However, it it seems like, and it's been proven by science, that once you're off your diet, you tend to gain that weight back. 
Exactly. And, and it's really unfortunate because people don't flip that mental mindset, mind, mindset flip that switch. It's tough. It's, um, at me, whenever I work with people, mm-hmm. I always tell them we don't um, diet and train. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, sorry, I apologize. We don't um, exercise and work out. Yeah. We eat and we train. Mm-hmm. Because we're trying to foster that good habit mm-hmm. of eating. And then normally I'm training for a sport. Yeah. But volleyball. Yeah. Or PT test. Yeah. Because everybody loves that mile and a half. And it's just like, I just got to work out for like 30 days before my PT test. Yep. Yep. And then it doesn't matter after that. Yeah. All right. Cool. And that's why we get hurt for hours. Yeah. That's, that's, try to avoid that. Talk about being fit of the fit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Let's see here. Oh, geez. So, someone who graduated college, you didn't have to enter the real-world workforce right away. Correct. But it was still something different where you had more freedom. Yeah. So somebody graduating college right now, like, what is a piece of advice that you'd give them? Right now, I mean, my parents definitely instilled in me to try and at least major in something that would be marketable once I graduated. Yeah. That's a tough thing to do when um, you really don't, know what you actually want to do uh, yep. coming out of high school. Luckily for me, at the academy, I can literally major in whatever I wanted and still be a pilot, mm-hmm. which is probably sad for me. But um, I would say don't be afraid to get whatever job is available at that time mm-hmm. and network your way to wherever you want to be. Yeah. <laughs> because, it's, I mean, it's, it's true. It's hard you know, to humble yourself as a, as a college graduate to mm-hmm. say, I'm going to bust tables until I'm going to bust tables and bust my ass until I can get something better. Especially if you get like a 4.0. Exactly. Like, That's rough. And, and then all of a sudden they tell you that you're supposed to be making this salary, right? yeah. this starting salary, but it doesn't come. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you just, you don't want to take another job. Exactly. You're trying to fi- find your, pa- or follow your passion. Yeah. And then it doesn't show up. Well, but I mean, that's how we get stuck, though, in, in like a vicious cycle of odd jobs. Like there's when I was living in San Francisco, there were so many different startups for mm-hmm. like TaskRabbit or um, and for those of you who don't know what TaskRabbit is, it's basically just a company that um, you can or customers can have an app that just yeah. allows somebody to come in, do a task for you, whether that be painting your room standing in line for you, mm-hmm. stuff that rich people don't want to do. Yeah. And, you know, college graduates uh, have spare time to do. So uh, that kind of stuff can be great initially, but then, you know, you, you're not contributing to your 401k. You're not uh, saving a lot of money. You don't have health insurance. And, and time's taken up, too. And time's taken up, exactly. It's, yeah. it's a huge time suck. But somebody had to start TaskRabbit. Somebody yeah. had to start, you know, all these cool startups that wouldn't have happened if millennials didn't have this problem finding jobs. And and we gotta say that we're both millennials. So <laughs> disclaimer. disclaimer is that we can make fun of them because we are one of them. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it just fits right my in. People. It, definitely my people. So um so we can say that but there is a big thing like wanting to find our passion. Yeah. Like you hear that all the time. Passion, 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 passion. Yeah. But, okay, what if that doesn't make you money? In today's world, you, you need a little bit of money to, in order to kind of do what you want to do. Yeah. And if $40,000 a year makes you happy, yeah. find a way to make $40,000. Maybe you can't live in San Francisco, though. Mm-hmm. 
Ooh, yeah. You kind of got to move. I bet you you can't live in San Francisco. San Francisco. <laughs> but I think, I mean, our generation, we saw our parents work so hard mm-hmm. and work the same job day in, day out and hate it yep. for like 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, now a lot of our, our parents may have like a sentence package. They may have retirement income. Um, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them work that hard and still have nothing to show for it. Yep. So that's what's hard for our generation to see that I'm going to work this hard at the job I hate mm-hmm. and still have nothing for it. Mm-hmm. I already saw that happen, so I don't need to make that my experience. Mm-hmm. But again, I think setting goals and setting timelines of for yourself to say, I'm only going to work this job for another four years. Yep. Or I'm going to save up this much money so that I can you know, move away or something like that. Actually setting a timeline and setting smart goals gives you the opportunity to say, okay, now time's up and reevaluate mm-hmm. where I'm at, what I want to do next. Yeah, so that, that's a big thing for me. Um, I did a speech before, you, I think before you came here about setting goals here. That. Yeah. And then, um, I don't know if that was right before, right when you got here. You told me about it afterwards. Okay, yeah. And then recently I've been sending out these things that, um, you know, Monday minute, like how do you, your mindset, like what's your mission statement? What's your personal mission statement? Who are you? What do you want to do? And how do you fill in the gap? So if you had to create kind of a mission statement for yourself, like who you are, who you are, what do you want to do? And obviously we'll get to fill in the gap a little bit later. Well, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I definitely, like my end goal is to create a happy life for my for my wife and my potential family mm-hmm. um, and to eventually become a congressperson. So uh, I feel like every day I'm working towards, you know, I'm making little uh, goals to, to work to that. Yeah. Um, I don't have like a mission statement. I don't have like a. Whew. I know, I know. I need to work on this. You do. These are things. These are, these are self-reflective questions. Yeah. This, this is why we do this. Afraid. We got to get it out. Yeah. Okay. There it is. <laughs> what are you? What are you afraid of? We're coming up with it because it is. You have to go. You have to go deep. Well, I think I think it's kind of the same thing that a lot of people are afraid of. It's the fa- the the fear of failing. Yeah. So like if I if I set a goal and I don't meet it, then what does that mean? You know, what does that mean about me? Um. And so, obviously, all those smart goals are supposed to be attainable, right? Mm-hmm. But attainable to the point where it's not what you would do on a normal day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like making my Pop-Tart and, all right, cool, I had breakfast. Exactly. It, that, that's not a smart goal. Exactly. Maybe having some overnight oats with filled with good stuff and a green shake. Yeah. Because that's what you put on your goal list for yeah. breakfast. Exactly. Is a smart goal. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. No. Um, but what about what if they shoot too high, like, and they don't attain what they want to do? Celebrating the small stuff, man, is is super important. Yeah. I mean, everything that I do, if I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I just got to the gym, go me. <laughs> I just pulled up to the parking lot. I'm like, I, I woke up. That was good, Jocelyn. Good job. Give myself a pat on the back. At least I did something. So if I if yeah. I do like a one mile run on the treadmill, yeah. and then you know I don't have the best workout, then I'm like, 
You know what? I did a good one mile run. That was you it. Gotta that was all right. You gotta sweat on. You're there. You're there. You do a little yoga at the end. You calm your mind and. Make so then, at the cool. end of you know that that long term goal, yeah. and then if you don't make it, then it's like, well, you know what? I did have a good thirty day cleanse or or whatever, whatever you yeah. want to do that um, mm-hmm. you know works up to that. How do you set your goals? I write them down. I I, I used to do like a straight up vision boards. And I would, wrong with that? <laughs> I still got I would cut out magazines, you know, I would, magazines. um, what are those again? <laughs> I thought we were all digital now, but, but it, it my wife used pack. to have these fashion magazines and I'd be like, okay, I want yeah. that six pack, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, and, and I want this house. So it would, I mean, and this was like, you know, like a year ago, it's not like it was like, you know, back in high school or whatever, but. Having a mental image of what I want my life to look like yep. is super important. Yep. But now I do PowerPoints. <laughs> the world is run on PowerPoints. If that disappeared, I don't know what the world would do. Yeah. So, so what I do is I have like I have year long goals, I have three year goals, I have five year goals. Nice. And then I have ten year goals that are much more broad stroke type stuff. Yep. But, you know, yeah, like they're people. supposed to be. Yeah. Where do you want to get in the ballpark kind of sort of thing? Exactly. How often do you reflect on? Um, honestly, at least at least once a month. There's a lot of people that do like sticky notes on their mirrors, which I think is an excellent technique I do. to constantly remind you every I single do. day you wake yep. up. It's in my mirror every morning. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So that's impressive. I I look back at it when I see it on my desktop, and I'm like, oh yeah, what was this called again? Oh yeah, I should be doing that. <laughs> so yeah, and. and what I've always found, what I taught in the, the goal setting thing that I had, these legal pads. Yeah. Like, if you take five minutes to write down the top three things you want to do in a week, yeah. you know, or in that day, and mm-hmm. it, it can change your life. Yeah. Just having, you know, your one, your three, your five, and then an overarching 10-year goal. Yeah. Like, that'll put you down a path. Yeah. And where you go on that path. Yeah, so there's multiple paths. Yeah. And then the people that you meet mm-hmm. might open up a new one. Yeah, exactly. it'll open up an offer off that you didn't even know was possible exactly. before you met that person. Which is another reason why I think it's so important to have, you know, several different paths. So it's like if, if I don't meet this gate goal that I wanted, yep. then, well, now I just open up a door for this other thing that mm-hmm. I didn't even know I wanted to do. Yep. So, I mean, I have different categories of, okay, what do I want in, you know, maybe spiritually, what do I want in my relationship, what do I want in my... Workout routine, stuff like that. So yep. it's all like, you know, all these different things that I'm kind of tracking, but yeah. just mentally. So okay. For me, personally. That's very nice. I like it. Some good stuff. So, covered what you do when you fail a goal. You covered your goal setting techniques. So, you mentioned PolySci. Yeah. <laughs> Politics in the future, possibly. Yeah. That's the goal. So that was. Honestly, the initial goal, we talked about this earlier as yeah. like a joke, but, um, you know, Congress people after their first term, you know, make their full retirement. Honestly, that's not the reason why I'm going into, <laughs> into politics, but it would be an awesome thing to just, you know, have two retirements, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, the initial reason why I wanted to go into politics was because um, growing up in, in a majority black community, I see... Uh, you know, a system that's broken yep. sometimes, um, and it needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So because the system is broken, 
the only people that I saw that could fix that were either lawyers who defend these people yep. or Congress people who make the laws. Mm. So I think at least having a law degree to be able to speak intelligently and, and write laws, yep. um, I you know that's my next goal is to try and get my law degree. And then... Um, on top of your master's degree already. I'm working on it, man. And you're trying to go back for a law degree. I got to have something to update my dad with. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, dad, I just kind of lost. It definitely is. Definitely, but it's also a personal goal. So yeah, exactly. it's not just your dad. So that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the best part. That's, the, the, that's what the has important to be. Part. Yeah, that has to be said. Right. Because, you know, your dad wanted you to be a congressperson, yeah. but that wasn't truly what you wanted. It probably wouldn't turn out very well. Well, that's, I mean... And being a parent is hard because I can I understand why some people are like, you know, trying to live either vicariously through their kids or they really want something for their kids, and and then it's hard to see your kid um, do something completely off brand that yep. you weren't expecting. So like, for instance, and I feel like this is probably longer than you know I'm rambling, but my wife's family, her. Um, uh, they weren't initially thrilled about um, me being in her life okay. as a woman. Mm-hmm. And and they, they're San Francisco, very liberal family. Yeah. But it's not traditional. It's not traditional. And when you have a certain vision of what you want your kids, what you want for your kids, yeah. um, it's hard to, to change your whole paradigm and say, okay, well, I guess I trust this random person that my daughter brought home and eventually they learned to love me i mean absolutely love me like when my wife went on to paris and i was still in california i still went to go visit them every single weekend to yeah. just go hang out and i love her family now but it's it's hard initially to let your your kids do what they want to do and not try to steer their lives so my parents were really good at um just kind of let me do my own thing and they had no idea where i was going with this air force thing but they let me take it Awesome. Telling you the best, pointing exactly. you in a direction, exactly. and letting you go do it. Go figure it out. Yeah, go, go figure, figure out. out how to no, no helicopter. <laughs> not, not sitting over you like, hey, exactly. hey. Exactly. Get back over there. Exactly. Get back over there. Um, all right, so you mentioned rambling a little bit, so we'll start okay. to close it down. All right, sorry. Um, no, no, gosh, no, this is fun. I like it. Um, and we're getting some awesome stuff. So uh, let's say one failure if you can think of it off the top of your head. One failure that you think shaped you, who you are, kind of, and how'd you bounce back from that? This is going to get real. Let's do it. I mean, there are many failures that I could reflect on that I could say. <laughs> and there's going to be plenty more to come. Exactly. That's the best part. Exactly. Um, I, when I was in C-17s, I hooked or failed my aircraft commander check ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to blame a lot of people on, oh, well, I already had my assignment to RP4, so that's why they kind of rushed my check ride, or I hate my commander, he doesn't want me in a squadron, so that's why he gave me, you know, mm-hmm. a, a hard evaluator pilot, or, you know, I, I wanted to blame a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And then after talking to, again, my dad, um, he made me realize, like, well, what did you do wrong? You know, what could you have done better? Yeah. 
And that's such an obvious question that in my mind, I was like, well, I did everything right, obviously. Um, I made all the right decisions and it wouldn't have been the big deal uh, if I could have just continued on with whatever decision I made. Uh Um, But the truth is, the fact is, is that I am in control of my own life. Mm-hmm. And I make decisions every single day on what, how I react to what life gives me. Yep. So I have the opportunity to take a failure. And I mean, all this resiliency training is like, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's, it's like it's so essential to, you know, our lives. Like just how you, you how react. Yeah, how you bounce back defines who you are. Yep. So... And then to take this RP4 assignment, and I absolutely love it. I love the community. I love the people. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole flying thing, not exactly what I imagined for myself as a pilot. But yep. the fact that I get to you know, do simulator training with some of the security forces guys, um, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I know at times, you know, I make fun. <laughs> we, we like to click. We like to click. Because... On a screen that I'm looking at and I don't have any any clue on what's his, what to do, yeah. it, it all it does is look like clicking to me. Yeah. Um, but you were able to take that, become a sim instructor, and I mean, you crash people occasionally on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's more fun. It, exactly. It, it is more fun. It is more fun. But um, let's just go back to the C-17 for real quick. Mm-hmm. Failing a commander check ride, why is it such a big deal? Like, I know it's an instructor pilot or a pilot that's sitting next to you. Yeah. They're telling you what to do or looking at what you're doing on a constant basis. But mm-hmm. if you'd like to explain, like, why is it such a big deal? Yeah, so we have um, uh, the check I was supposed to determine whether or not I was going to become an aircraft commander yep. or not. Um, and the evaluator pilot didn't deem me um, basically what I did he thought was unsafe. Mm-hmm. And... The reason why that's so important is because having uh, a failure on your flight evaluation folder um, can negatively affect you and in your future career. So a lot of people look at that and say, well, this person shouldn't be an evaluator pilot because they got, they got, they hooked a ride like five years ago. And, and that kind of, you know, made me think like, oh, well, I'm never going to be a commercial pilot or and I'm even, you know, necessarily want to be a commercial pilot. It's just, you know, yeah. one of those it's avenues that I could have had. But, you know, who knows if I'll be able to do that. Flying RP4s, who knows if commercial airlines are going to take my hours. So these are all, like, factors that went into um, th- into my head that I was thinking, because I failed this, now I'm going to possibly snowball into oblivion, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, again, that's why just being safe and not doing anything dumb, dangerous, or different um, was probably the more uh, conservative way to go. <laughs> and with a, what is it, a $192 million aircraft that the yeah. C-17 is? Yeah. That, that's a pretty important <laughs> thing. And who knows what you're hauling and who you're hauling, which exactly. is keeping people alive is definitely the most important part. So, yeah. uh, And I'm sure you learned from that after that. After that check ride, it was... Come yeah. to Jesus, here we go, let's calm oh, this yeah. down a little bit. Yeah. And still being a great pilot, as it was, and then trading with the RQ4s. Yeah. Um, so, three things um, that all the mentors in your life, if you had to distill it down to three things, um, 
What what have been the most important? Um, well, like we talked about earlier, networking. Mm-hmm. Um, smiling, shaking hands. Smiling, shaking hands. Uh, that that bounce back attitude mm-hmm. of uh, just don't keep on keep on tracking. Yep. Um, and reaching back, honestly. I mean, it's it's reaching back to to pull people up with you. Yeah. I mean, I've I've tried to do that with as many mm-hmm. young airmen that I've uh, that I've been able to come in contact with and mm-hmm. young cadets. Um, and I look at them and I'm just like, you just have to make sure that you you pay it forward. Yeah. Tell them the same thing. And you actually did that for me. Like there there was a, times in the office when I came back came back off of leave and things of that nature and I, I had a very very sour attitude and one day you were just like hey <laughs> Uki, what's going on <laughs> and and this goes back to you being open and smiling and like truly caring for everybody yeah. um, which is an absolutely amazing trait and I'm like god like a couple of things that happened in my person you're like well what can we do about it yeah and it's just like I just needed somebody to to flip that switch and be like hey <laughs> write this shit down and figure it out. Yeah. Like, it's it's that easy. That's now, the execution portion isn't easy. Oh, yeah. But figuring out what to do, yeah. and, and sometimes it's just that snap. Yeah. And it, it was just you like, hey, <laughs> probably sick here. Well, I mean, you're an incredibly smart person. You are a very well-read, very motivated person. Thank you. And and honestly, like, the the type of innovation and creativity that you have needs to stay in the Air Force <laughs> because we need more people like that. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like a lot of people like you get discouraged and are just like, you know, get kind of swallowed up by the monotony sometimes mm-hmm. with being in the Air Force. And, you know, you forget the, the things that you can control. So the things that you can control, you need to work on that and what we're going to do next. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, Tom Billy, founder of Quest Nutrition, mm-hmm. um, now he runs Impact Theory. He always says, if you're thinking about quitting, become the very best. Mm-hmm. Don't think about what's next. Become the very best at what you do and see yeah. what that opens up. Yeah. And and that right there is like, okay, yeah. what can I do in this specific situation? For sure. Um, and so that changed a couple of things, what I do on a daily basis. Yeah. Then all of a sudden one day you're just like, Luke, you want to be a pilot? Yeah. Offering me sins and everything. Like, <laughs> you're trying. You're trying. You're trying. You want to be one day. <laughs> no wonder you were that advisor. It's showing through. It's showing through. Yeah, man. One day, so, Luke, Captain Luki. Now with these eyes, it. it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I, I definitely could. I could <laughs> click a couple buttons and, and know what I'm doing this time. <laughs> so, that, that, yeah. Um, smiling, shaking hands, bouncing back, uh, that resiliency thing. We go through so many briefs, it can get just overwhelming and yeah. the message sometimes is just like oh another powerpoint yeah again like exactly. next 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 are we done yet can yeah. i sign the sheet <laughs> um but it is a critical part it is um, important. and sometimes it comes from somebody just asking yeah like that's resiliency and then starting and ground zero has built so many more people yeah. than being handed stuff well if it's one thing i've learned about your first career is that nobody knows what the hell they're doing so you might as well try something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you get a slap, uh, um, slap, uh, slapped on the wrist, mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. 
as long as you don't critically injure yourself or anybody else or some equipment, exactly. there's a good chance that you're going to learn from it and be able to overcome. Yeah. Um, and then reaching back. We discussed that, like, like bring people up. You yourself keep building and then continuously making that spider web bigger and bigger of your influence. Um, all right, cool. Last question. There's one thing that you can tell an airman or just somebody coming out of high school mm-hmm. right now that took you for uh, too long to learn. Mm. What would it be? I mean, it definitely goes back to the whole... If you set a goal and you don't meet it, don't beat yourself up about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that there's, I meet a lot of high schoolers at college fairs and stuff, and they immediately think that they know exactly what they want to do or what they want to be when they grow up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to just say, to just stop saying when I grow up and just be in the moment and do your best now mm-hmm. at what you're doing. Yeah. That's simple. Be in the moment. Do your best now. Set goals occasionally. Set goals. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. Thank you.